0: Amen. Thanks so much, Sandra. That was pretty amazing. Um, if we could have our kiddos go downstairs. Miss Kiki's got some awesome, awesome stuff for you today. Kind of puts uh, realness to the gospel and how it's applied in our daily lives and how we have that opportunity to in the middle of those moments. Um That's fantastic. Um, If you wanted to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 17, we're going to be talking this morning and going headlong into living by God's commands. Um, We live in a culture today where if you have laws, um, they're kind of thought of as like suggestions more than laws, aren't they? And when it comes to the Ten Commandments for our lives, God didn't do away with the Ten Commandments, folks, and the Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments. And uh, and you know when you start talking about law with people, immediately people swing into the well, that's legalism, preacher. We don't live; we're not legalists around here. And we'll address that this morning. I want to teach a little bit on what the Pharisees did and where they went wrong. Um, but when you see the Ten Commandments, you see kind of the picture of Moses and him standing there with the tablets of stone, which. God inscribed himself and wrote those down. Um, we've been studying this whole process in the men's group, and I don't even want to try to rip that apart. It's been amazing um, what Ray Vanderland's been teaching, what Jim's brought to the table with that. But basically, when you look at the Ten Commandments, it shed new light on for me when he described it as basically God's vows to us. When you're at that marriage altar, a husband and wife is there, um, and you know how nowadays we kind of write our own vows, which are incomplete at best. I've never been a fan of people writing their own vows. Don't get mad at me if you did it. But that, just, you can't come up with enough. and uh, there, There's not really a, a perfect vow out there, although there's a perfect laws of God, which are absolutely fantastic. So when you look at the law, our English language is going to be it right. Think of it as God's vows to us at the altar, the vows to us at the table. It's a beautiful thing. But let's start real quick so that you don't forget about God's laws. And let's see if anybody has Has anyone broke any of the Ten Commandments here today? So we really need... Yeah. This minute. Let's start there. So we're in need of help, aren't we? Uh, You know, if you broke one law, you're guilty of breaking them all. And the law there is so important for us because it keeps us in check, but it also gives us the opportunity to obey. Let's go through 1 through 10. You shall not make idols. Number two, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh Uh-oh. Honor your father and your mother. You shall... Parents, kids, I have four... That's a commandment. No. You shall not murder... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. What an amazing thing, and you shall have no other gods before me. Those ten commandments, and what God has said there for all of us, is so imperative. Jack Hayford wrote this in Exodus 20, God gives us the context of giving his law. Number one, his authority. When the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, he basically said, hey, don't do it like the Egyptians. That's... Rule number one: Turn to someone and be like, "Don't do it the way they're doing it." You know, you think about your life here, the culture here today. I hope that we all get awakened to the call in Exodus 20 and what Christ said through the Bible. He said, "If you love me, you'll obey my commands." He didn't just throw it out there. The oh, Ten Commandments are worthless nowadays. We're so current now, folks. Please don't live your life according to the standards of this culture. If we can mirror our lives to what the Israelites did when they're coming out of Egypt, when we're coming out of bondage to the world, we're saying, I am not patterning my life that way because I am no longer under the authority of Satan in the world, the God of this world, but my life now is subjected to the call of Christ and His authority and His covering over my life. That's the purpose of the law. Number two, His liberty. God brings us out of bondage. And the reason and the things that we stay out of bondage is those Ten Commandments will keep you out of bondage in your life. Isn't that pretty? Yeah. It keeps us out of bondage. Jack Hayford says he wouldn't have given us law if we didn't need it. Coming out of a culture of oppression and slavery, the people needed to know how to live in liberty and with worth reinstated to their life. The same that was true of Egypt is the true of our culture. Only the idols have changed. No longer the sun god Ra, now the idol is sex or the great god of science. It's amazing how people who worship the empirical science, which supposes that only the things which may be known with certainty are the things that we can quantify, dissect in the laboratory, or analyze according to their chemical components. That's as superstitious as anything that went on in Egypt. It's only advanced in its scientific insight. It still bows after another God, a God called reason, that disallows the larger manifestation of God, who is not only reasonable, but is the God of revelation beyond reason. We need to study the Ten Commandments so that being emancipated from this kind of bondage to live free and in life, in our daily life, laws help us to navigate places of great risk. So too in our spiritual life. Laws restricted, but that also protect. Does a seatbelt in your car... Everyone wear a seatbelt in here lately? Those stupid laws of putting those stupid seatbelts on. The law of God is intended for release. Folks, I want to tell you that the law of God is intended for release. Folks, I want to tell you that allow His law to transform you. I want you to real quick, turn real quick to Matthew 5, if you're not turned there yet. uh, Verse 17 These are red letters again, so pay attention to red. So don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you in truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment, And teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than that of the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Folks, do you think Jesus had a purpose in the law and how important it was You know, Jesus growing up throughout all of his time, he spent time in the Torah and the writings and learning all of them and understanding that every dot and tittle, it was so important. Those little phrases there, those were the smallest verb tenses and and commas in the the, the language of the day. It was the smallest important. And so for all of us, we need to take heed in understanding how important the details of God's commands are for our life. I want to ask you today, when it comes to the law of God, Are we being shaped by his laws or are we being shaped by our own laws? And everybody kind of finds their own truth in this culture, right? And the Ten Commandments are actually really offensive to many people, aren't they? We just kind of blow them off and say, God loves me. God loves me. God, You're right, God loves you, but God wants to change you. God does love you today. But God wants you to grow from glory to glory and be mature in the knowledge of who He is and understanding. Are we being shaped by Him and allowing His words to prick and change us? Or have we become too stubborn to allow His word to change us? Folks, what this word should do is not just confirm to us what we already believe. The word of God should actually prick us. It should convict us. It should cause us to repent. That's what the word of God should do. Just reading through those Ten Commandments today... If there is anything in there that you're living by and understand and say, you know what, I fell on that one, I bore false witness. You know, you look at the pragmatics of bearing false witness. It's basically talking bad about other people in your life. You bear a false witness, something happens, and you start to add words and context and saying things. And just doing that, taking the Lord's name in vain, isn't just cursing, although that's a really good start. If you're using the Lord's name in vain and saying, God this and God that, please stop. Please stop. Taking the Lord's name in vain gets far deeper even than that. It's taking God into places and space in life, and we're just using it so nonchalantly. Taking the Lord's name in vain for our life. We don't hold a high value and a high esteem for Him. Holding no other gods before me, that basically covers it all. If you're in a position where maybe your God is money in the pursuit of it, folks, we need to stop and realign our lives and say, God, I want to give my life Back to you. Do not commit adultery. I've never committed adultery. Have you ever looked upon a woman with lust? Then you've got problems and you need to repent of them. Honoring your father and mother. I realize that all fathers and mothers are not perfect like me and Ann are. (laughs) But honoring your father and mother to honor them no matter what they've done or what's happened in the past. You honor them. And thank God for them. And by golly, give them a break. First Mr. give your parents a break. Taking a stand in this flaky culture is pretty hard nowadays, isn't it? If you've got an opinion on anything, if you have a stand or a conviction on anything in life, you are considered a hateful person, aren't you? In an article called Calling Back Christian Rebels, I love that, journalist Marcia Segelston describes the cost of being a Christian in our current culture. It means taking unpopular stands on highly charged issues such as abortion and homosexuality and divorce. It means risking derision and humiliation and scorn. It means looking at the way things are when they undermine the Word of God and challenging them. Folks, that's a huge, huge thing. These are charged social topics that the church has completely left behind because we don't want to offend people. And when will we understand that when Christ came to earth, Christ started dividing people, fathers and mothers, because people were forced to make decisions, either follow me or fall that way. And the commands of God to have a, thou shalt not kill Folks, you can put abortion under that subcategory of thou shalt not kill. We know too much now, speaking of science, to get it. Do you know why abortion's way down more than it's ever been in our land? Do you know why abortion's down? Because people aren't ignorant of it anymore. They're not ignorant of the fact that that's a living baby inside of there, that this has nothing to do with a mom, it has everything to do with an individual soul. Born and raised in the purpose of God before eternity. Fully on the mount. You look at the investment that God has given to you. This is all about the children and it's worth a fight. And that's why we fight for life and we fight for the command of thou shalt not kill. We are no different than in the, the idols and that they would give children to the idols of Moloch and watch the children burn because they wanted the blessing. This is all about money and advancement. It inconveniences us. The child does. Isn't it? That's why we have the kids we have. Well, I just want to have more kids because they're so expensive. Welcome to real life. Have I offended anybody yet this morning? The law is offensive. (laughs) Folks, if the Christian culture is not troublesome to the current waves of this culture, then we are not doing our job. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's see what we've so easily forgotten. I want you to think of these Ten Commandments as vows now. And you think about if you break vows in marriage, what it causes in your home. You think about when we break vows with God, what it causes with our relationship with Him. You know, it's funny when marriages fall apart. Everyone runs, tries to figure things out, get as much counseling and pastoring and advice and all this kind of stuff. And with God's laws in our lives, we need to run under the banner of God and say, God, I need to get back under your commands that, God, yes, you love me, and, yeah, I might go to heaven by the skin of my teeth, but am I living at the greatest value that you want me to live at? Am I investing my life into all this? Am I all in? This Ten Commandments stuff is an all-in kind of mindset for us. We can't say to Some of the commands I'll obey, and other commands I just won't obey. We can't say, well, that one is an easier one, but this one I won't. It's something that we need to get out of the flakiness of our own lives and our own lackluster experience with God and get under the shelter of Him once again. Romans chapter 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This goes a long way from God just loves me and just does everything for me and I don't have any involvement in it. We learn God's ways because we avoid the ways of the current strokes of the culture and where it's going. Swimming upstream, in a way, and you're going to have to fight everything within you to fight against the culture that wants to invade all the spaces. From the way you deal with your money, from the way you deal with relationships, from how you... Take in your entertainment. You think of just the entertainment alone and how we have devalued ourselves because of the junk that we watch and we listen to. Copying behavior and customs. Sos ka Sorry, Tess, I might have messed that one up too. Another Greek word. Soska ka is copying behavior and customs. It refers to conforming oneself to the outer fashion or the outward appearance and accommodating oneself to a model or pattern. Folks, you think of even how we dress and how we live today. I love it, you know, the I read those articles on Boylan High School, Boylan Catholic High School. They actually are going to have standards this year at their prom. You've probably read it, haven't you? I was talking to my friend about it. Us evangelicals even, it's so funny, we don't even touch that to because we go, no, it's just whatever their conviction is, whatever their Boylan High School said, no, listen, if you're falling out of your dress, we're going to give you a t-shirt to wear at the prom. <laughs> you're not going to put your life into the models and customs of this world. You're going to live and trust differently. Oh, that's just so, so offensive. So horrible. Let me ask you, are you conforming yourself to the world's standards in your own life? Listen, you're going to have to pray about it. You're going to have to ask God about it, but you're going to have to be intentional about your life when it comes to the laws of God for your life. You're going to have to be intentional. John Henry Newman made this statement. It's the very function of the Christian to be moving against the world and to be protesting against the majority of voices. I'll dare say this pretty much on every issue that the world charges against. The loud voices, you're probably not going to agree with the majority. can Can I get an amen there? the majority of it, you're going to say, that's garbage. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it has nothing to do with polls. It has nothing to do with what man says or what man thinks or how cool it's become or how popular it is. It has to do with my life it needs to be attuned to the plans and purposes of God for my life. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote, whenever religion feels completely at home in the world, it is the salt which has lost its savor. It is... If it is sacrifices the strategy of renouncing the world, it has no strategy by which it may convict the world of sin. You know, folks, if it's gotten to the point where our strategy is not renouncing the world and what's going on, how can we have a voice of walking away from the sins and the life that we have? How do we have a voice? Because isn't the cross a really offensive thing for people because it says that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior? Isn't that really offensive? That somehow I failed, and what we continually do in our lives is we continually blend a New Age theology that I'm generally a good person. I just need to find purpose in my life, as opposed to falling on the cross of Christ and on the blood of Jesus Christ and saying, No, I need a Savior for my life. I have sin in my life. (laughs) Different concepts. So when we lose the strategy of saying, Hey, we have sin in our life and we need to run after Christ, we lose that salt saver that points those things out to the world folks I want to tell you don't give up on living for the lord turn real quick to second corinthians chapter 6 don't give up on making hard decisions first second corinthians chapter 6 Come out from among them, unbelievers, and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. I love what he says there. Come out from among them and be separate. What an amazing thing. And that's a hard thing as we live in a world. You you know, we always hear, you know, to live in the world but not be of the world. And that's very profound. But it gets really complex and great when you're in situations and you work here and you do this. But what I'm asking you is to live in this world, but don't be of it. Don't get too comfortable where you're at. Don't get too comfortable. Always be on your toes. Always be aware. Always be keen to hearing the voice of God because there is moments for you at which you can compromise the things of God for your life, just for the pleasure of the moment in your life, and it's so important for us to live for God and to be separate. Os Guinness writes, on the compromises in the Western church, here's what happens when we compromise. The result is a church befuddled over the difference between success and faithfulness, hesitant to buck the going trends, fearful to stick her neck out and find herself in the minority, and reluctant to risk loneliness of pursuing the true and excellent Regardless of all outcomes. In short, a church fatally weakened because it is worldly. I think we're getting to the point in church now where we're afraid to stick our neck out, aren't we? We're afraid to buck the system for fear that we might find ourselves in the minority. And it's a living truth where we understand that God, your word, is settled in heaven, and these commands that you've given to me, these vows, this commitment that you've established between the both of us, this arrangement for this marriage, the rules, so to speak, to keep us tethered together, these will make me successful, not what the world offers. Os Guinness writes, this means out of each individual conversation should come a silent personal revolution that transforms the personal lives of the converted. I think this is so vitally important. I think the personal uh, revolution happens. I've shared with you this before, not going into all the details, but just the understanding of the commitments to not commit adultery and fornication. You know, me and my wife established that we would wait until we were married for our covenant, and we would take a stand for that. And I'll never forget having a conversation at Highlander, having a conversation with this guy who was just sleeping with everything out there. And he would make fun of me because I was making a standard in our relationship as we were engaged and dating. And he said, how stupid. I said, listen, when you get those STDs and all those problems and all those situations, you come back to me and see how stupid I am. These laws keep you safe. These boundaries are not to hurt you or to harm you or to keep you somehow out of the movements of God. These things keep you safe. And now what we have going on even in the public schools is the public schools understand that passing out birth control does simply not work anymore. That now they say, let's offer what's called an abstinence package. Huh, that's not a secular view. That's a biblical view. Let's offer options to our young men and women who are going in and facing things that are bigger than them that they don't know the implications to. Living in truth and living with conviction keeps you safe. It keeps you healthy. It keeps you whole in your life. Personal revelation, revolution will take place in your talk and in your walk how you treat your neighbor, how you respond to your spouse, how you serve. It's an amazing thing. Isn't it amazing how in your conversations with people, God will give you opportunity to speak truth in those situations? Is there stirring in you a revelation to live differently or to be different, folks? Develop standards in your life. I challenge you that. Turn real quick to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1. Proverbs 7. This is how I want you to treat this. Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 3. I love the Proverbs because it gives warning, it gives counsel, to heed advice. Follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on the fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister. Make inside a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman, from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. It's an amazing thing how he says, obey my commands. Tether them around your neck. Take hold of them. Folks, the Word of God is so important for us as we dive into this. Parents, I want to ask you, are you practicing this kind of tethering? Are they seeing you practice this kind of things, children? Are you are you longing to get involved with your parents? Are your kids seeing you tie his laws around your hearts? Why well, go through all the effort of the application? Well, I'm a Christian. I've been in church my whole life. How I many I heard that before? <laughs> you know, folks. I don't know if you knew this by now, but church doesn't save you. Hang an amen there. Church might be sending some people to hell, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> because of the dead religion out there, so it's just kind of a thing. We go all through all this because we are actually taking our walk with God seriously. We're taking it seriously. We're, we're actually looking at it in light of eternity saying that this is of more value to me than riches. This is of more value to me than this, this opportunity I can get over here. This is, this is more special than that. It's, it's, it's of value to me that they can say, I want to take this seriously. Folks, we all take baths and showers in the morning, correct? Why did you take a bath? We don't have to answer that question. You took a bath and a shower because you felt stinky, right? And you weren't feeling bad or offended. Oh my gosh, i smell stinky sneaky again. I've got to get in the shower. No, you love that. You say, I'm going to get clean here. You know what the Word of God does for you? God's not condemning you with this stuff. He's not saying, look, you failed here and you failed here. He's like, get under the shower of my blessing. I want to clean you. I want to make you. I want to wash this stuff off you. Let my Word clean this for your life." We jump into the shower gladly. And I want to tell you, you can jump into the presence of God with gladness and thanksgiving. You can say, God, make me clean in my life because I want to develop new standards. Folks, I, like you, don't you want to have good spiritual hygiene? You want to develop good spiritual hygiene for your life? Dive into this. Your word I have hidden in my heart so that I may not sin against you. We know that every sin is under the cross. We've been forgiven. But how many of you know sin is still offensive, isn't it? God doesn't say, yeah, I died on the cross on that Easter Sunday morning and rose again. Everything's cool now. We still deal with sin. We still go before the throne of grace and we say, God, forgive me of this. Wash me of this because I don't want to be living offensive towards you. I want to walk in friendship towards you and my life. I love what happens. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and one of my favorite kings, was King Josiah. Turn real quick to 2 Kings, chapter 22. They had forgotten the law of God. They had forgotten his standards. They had started worshiping other idols. Josiah started to rebuild things. We'll start in verse three of Second Kings 22, verses one through eleven. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Elzia, and grandson of Meshullam, the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord. He told them, "Go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people of the Lord's temple, and trust this money to the men assigned to supervise." the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay the workers and repay the temple. They will need to hire carpenters and builders and masons. Also, they have to buy timber and finish stone needed to repair the temple. But don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. Hillicah the high priest said to Shapin, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hillicah gave the scroll to Shapin and he read it Shaphan went to the king and reported your officials have turned over the money collected the temple of the Lord and the workers and supervisors at the temple Shaphan also told the king Hilkiah and the priest had given me a scroll everyone say give me a scroll, me a scroll. so Shaphan read it to the king here's what the king's response was when the king heard what was written in the book of the law he tore his clothes in despair and then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest and Achim son of Shaphan, Achbor son of Milcah, Shaphan the court secretary, and Isaiah the king's personal advisor, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people, for all of Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that have been found. The Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. I think for all of us, We live in a very biblically illiterate culture. We have people who don't know the Word of God, they don't know the way around the Word of God, and they're really not interested. Christians that do that. And there is no purpose, there is no intention, there is no anything involved with it. And here King Josiah, they had stone, the temple was looking beautiful. Isn't it interesting how we kind of get things out of line and in order in the church? We have beautiful stonework, we have beautiful stairs, we have beautiful churches. We look for chairs that are comfortable in all this. And yet we go to these places and many of these churches don't even preach the word of God anymore. And I think like Josiah, we have to get to the place where he tore his, tore his cloak. And that moment was a sign of repentance and surrender saying, God, forgive us for we have not been obedient to the word of God for your life. If there is one thing that the Western church needs to get back to, you say, man, what do we need more than anything? We don't need more laws. We don't need more politicians. We don't need more money. Folks, we have all of that. We have that coming out of our ears. Do you know what we need? We need believers in Jesus Christ who are praying prayers like dying men and women and groaning in repentance for the sin that we've allowed in our homes. Oh, that we would rend our hearts before the Lord and repent so that the rivers of refreshing can come once again. Obedience is the evidence of the knowledge of God, folks. You want to say, Do I really know God? I want to say, Are you obedient to Him? Obedience is something that starts to come out of our life because you no longer want to live your way. You want to live according to the ways of God. Here King Josiah was walking around doing his thing, managing things. Not even, his conviction wasn't even pricked. He wasn't even assertive in that. They found it. They just found the scroll under a bunch of rubble. They picked it up, and in that moment, Josiah's heart changed. And that's the beautiful thing about God's Word is once you make a decision to open up God's Word and say, you know what, I'm not going to be stubborn me and think my ways anymore and think how Steve would think about this. Folks, how would Christ think about this? How would uh, Jesus respond to that? Obedience is the evidence of the knowledge of God. Obedience is the manifestation or the evidence of the knowledge of God for our lives. 1 John 5 3 says this, you don't have to turn there. Many people have said, "Oh, the laws of God; those are so hard. How can anyone do it? Oh, it's so difficult." Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdens. Kind of puts a different angle on it when we kind of get out of the victim mode. Like, I can't do it; I don't have victory. Let's stop that talk. Turns around and say, "You got victory, brother." You have victory today, right now, with all the failures. And you might have looked at all these Ten Commandments and said, bam, 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 that was just ten minutes ago, an hour ago, a day ago. if you got victory right now in Jesus. With all the failures and with all the setbacks, His laws are not burdensome. They're easy because they come... From within your heart, Christ gives you the ability to obey. He says, I'm going to help you win these battles. I'm going to do it through my spirit and not on your own strength and not what laws you could establish here or there. No, follow the law of God, and it's a beautiful thing. Famous Olympic runner and missionary Eric Liddell. If you didn't know, read the story on Eric Liddell. Fantastic man of God. He ended up doing this. It was funny. One of the laws that he was very convicted of is he wanted to take the Sabbath, and he wanted to keep it holy. It was a day of rest. Eric Liddell forgo running for the gold on Olympic because the race was on Sunday. And he said, I will not race on Sunday. Can you talk about letting a whole nation down, right? He said, I'm not going to do it. But do you know what the nations have actually said? Leaders of his nation have actually given mementos and memories. And this one guy who actually won the race, they said, Don't you want to give it an honor? This was a guy after it, they said, No, I want to do this in honor of Eric Liddell because of who he was and what he meant to this sport. It was fantastic, Eric Liddell's conviction. And it was amazing that he directly after this race, he went into the mission field in China. It was funny, I was talking with my daughter Ashley. Ever say, Hi, Ashley. You know, keeping the Sabbath day holy, listen, I know everyone's going, oh no, he's touching Sunday. Sunday is important, it's a day of rest, okay? Keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy, okay? I challenge you to find that day of rest for your life. And I'll even open it up to this. Listen, if you've got a day of rest, you've got a day of rest. But if your day to worship and go to church is Sunday, then keep Sunday Sunday. Say, well, I work Sundays. I have to go to work. I'm going to challenge you this. If there's opportunities for you not to work or move things around, to keep that day Good, then that's fine. I realize that we've got doctors and nurses and EMTs and all that. That all is understandable. In fact, even cow farmers or dairy farmers, they have to milk on Sundays, I think, right? I get it. But I want to challenge you to keep this day special to God. Come to God's house. God's family. Be a part of it. Don't treat it like a fishing trip thing. I'm just going to go to church today. I think it's a good idea to go to church today. Come to church. Not because I'm checking down attendance here. We need you to somehow come and correlate there. But because you need church. You need the body of Christ. You need relationship with others to spur you along. And do I dare say you need a day of rest? How many are burned out? God gave a day of rest. In fact, even with the crops, God told the farmers that, hey, listen, you let that crops rest on this field every seven years. You just leave it die, let it let it just sit. And do you know what happened to those farmers as they did that? God honored them and provided for them and blessed them. I don't know if you know this, but now our fields are so overworked that there's really now even nutritional value coming out of the fields that we produce all this great fruit with because they're overworked. There's not enough nutrients, so they have to pour chemicals even into them because the fields are overworked. My daughter says, Dad, you know, like in France, in their history, she was learning France. I'm going to chop this story, but I'm going to give you what I did read about. It. But France set up a law under their Gregorian calendar when the kings had a day of rest that they had set up. But then it got changed because of the Gregorian calendar, the French. And then people were working, and then they finally got to the point where they said, okay, we're going to let the women and children take Sundays off. They can take a day of rest. But the, but the men, they have to keep working Like." found this out, this is all in French, in 1908, this is a booklet on the law that they passed saying that Sunday will be a day of rest. And here is the booklet and how the law applies to you. Can you believe that? Here's what happened with all of us. The Industrial Revolution changed everything for us. So we worked and we worked and we worked and we worked some more. And I look at the great business patterns of many people like Hobby Lobby. Anybody heard of Hobby Lobby before? The most, one of the most successful stories, you know, there was just an article in the paper about this Hobby Lobby founder, this horrible man who's a Christian and believer who stands for faith and conviction. He started his business in his garage. gives honor to the Lord for that. You ever heard of Chick-fil-A? Anybody enjoy a good Chick-fil-A sandwich? You know, because the tendency for all of us, I'll never forget when I first got into business, the guy who was training me in business, he said, Steve... Make sure you make up your mind that Sundays you won't work anymore, that you take Sunday off and just rest. God will take care of you, Steve, because there will be opportunities out there for you to say, hey, come work this job and do this, and there'll be great things here and that. But there is something intrinsic in the value of just simply finding rest for your life. And you have to fight for rest. You have to fight for that Sabbath, and you have to say, we're going to keep it holy. I know for me and my wife, even when we were working retail, I mean, you know, retail is tough hours. Nights and weekends. I mean, she had told her boss from the very get-go, she said, from the get-go, she said, Sundays I take off. Sundays is when I'm at church. And he thought maybe she might have been joking a little bit like, oh, sure, you're taking it off. No, no, we go to church, we're involved, we get involved with church. It's our Sabbath, it's our day of rest. I had told my people that when I started working my first jobs. Folks, I want to tell you, put it out there. When you do and allow God to be honored through these Ten Commandments, your life will be a blessing. What's at stake? Eric Liddell wrote this while on the mission field in China. Have you learned to hear God's voice saying, this is the way, walk in it? Have you learned to obey? Do you realize the tremendous issues that may be at stake? do you realize the tremendous issues that may be at stake? You think, man, how is that so important? Man, you think about it, if you're a rested person, have you ever been grumpy before? <laughs> Isn't it just amazing? Do you know, that's one of the rest studies out now. People are not getting rest. They actually have gyms out, folks, right now that you pay for gym memberships, that you go there and you sleep. <laughs> Why didn't I, that? I know. <laughs> You're going to have to set up some practical steps for rest. You might have to shut things off. You might have to keep. You know, the worst thing that's happened. The invention was the laptop is a horrible invention because then all you just do is you bring homework home with you everywhere. Our phones, it's bad. I'll never forget when I got tethered to the smartphone, I told the guy, do you realize that my life will be ruined from this day forward? He said, well, why is that? I was half joking. I said, because every alarm, every buzzer, every email, I will need to respond to. Resting is hard. And we think somehow those prehistoric cultures back then they, it was easier for them to rest because they... Are you kidding? They have the same issues. They have the same opportunities in business to go after things. Folks, you're going to have to make up a decision in your life and the pragmatics of life to say... This is important to me. This is the day of rest. This is the day at which we honor God. William Wilberforce, another man, he said, I'm going to make a decision in my life. I want to live by convictions. He lived in England, and it was one of the worst, darkest times of his life. There were so many details. It was unbelievable the amount of sin and filth. And William Wilberforce and a team of these statesmen would gather together, and they would pray, and they would seek the Lord, and they would give honor. to Him. By the way, you know that's going on in the White House right now? daily, the leaders, the upper leaders are taking this Bible out and they're praying and they're reading and they're studying God's Word from Mike Pence to the Secretary of State to these beautiful people are actually getting on their hands, they're getting on their knees and they're dying and saying, God, we want your will. So fantastic, this offensive Bible's coming out in the public again. What's at stake for you? Allow these commands to be more than talk. Optional chatter. Folks, I want to give you some things real quick about the checklist. Now we go into the leaven of the Pharisees for all of us, and we dealt with that at churches and church life. His law was never made to be a checklist. Can we get an amen in there? Amen. What is not in view is a hollow adherence to a checklist of rules or directions or a recipe in a cookbook. I love it how people have tried to cook the Bible down to follow these four principles to a successful life. Can we all go blah, blah, blah? <laughs> Why do we, I don't need a relationship with God, I'll just follow these four principles and my life will be great. It is all about your relationship with Christ and the knowledge of God and who you are. If all this was was about checklists and memorization, then the Pharisees had it. They didn't even need Christ. They had the checklists. They knew everything. What did the Pharisees need Christ for? Why did they need a Savior? What's not in view is the hollow adherence to the checklist of rules. Obedience to God is down to the last tittle in life of faith. Loses its character as a pilgrimage. This faith thing, by the way, is a pilgrimage for all of us. Obedience is our response to God. I heard one teacher say this about his student. A student asked the teacher, Do you want us to just memorize this, or do we need to understand this? And that's how it is with God's law for our life. Many people have memorized Scripture, well, I could quote the four spiritual laws, and I got this, and the whole testament were memorized, and I know exactly where Canaan was. Wow. Do you know God? Do you want to memorize this? Or do you want to understand this? Oh, people can spit out Bible verses. But there's no fire, and there's no change. I love what A.W. Tozer writes. He said, we need an internal fire like the Israel of old. The church today is satisfied with words and ceremonies and forms. The words the prophets spoke to the Israelites are as true for us today. God wants us to have content, love and worship, eternal spiritual reality of that inner fire of God. Once this fire of internalism dies down externalism begins to develop, like what happened when Jesus was on earth. It begins developing. At this time, God sends prophets and holy seers to rebuke the hollow form of worship that is merely ritual and to plead for what we call the deeper life or the crucified life. I call it like this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Jesus confronted this issue we're going to turn here to Matthew 15. I'm jumping all over the place today, but I want us to get this. The Pharisees got lost in their own madness. And they got into their little traditions that had nothing to do with the law. And here's a great example of his confrontation with that. Matthew 15 verses 1 through 9. Some Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus, and they asked Him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commands of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectful of a father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands of God. See, what the Pharisees did was they elevated their ceremonial clean laws, like laws of God. Nowhere in Scripture did it say for them to wash their hands 46 times before they came to dinner. But yet they made their traditions at the same level as the commands of God. In fact, what they used is these men were called... Jewish oral tradition, and they were regarded as the fence, the Bible calls it. They used this thing called the fence, used for preserving the integrity of the law. These traditions were believed by Pharisees to be equally binding as the written law. Folks, don't we just in the church love to make things look pretty on the outside? But on the inside... Many times we're far from God. We set up all these little traditions and things like that. And we're no different today. We're saying, well, we got a tithe, brother. We got a tithe, brother. God tells us to tithe and don't steal from God. But yet you've got family members that need some help and you let them go. All because of your stupid tradition. Are we set up our religious fences? Are we raising them up at the same level as the laws of God for our life? Have we done that? Have we judged people and ourselves based on our little traditions? All the little things we package up so that we can present ourselves to God and see, See, I'm a good person, God. I do these cute little ceremonial things. No sir, no ma'am. We don't want to make things pretty on the outside. We want things to happen on the inside. Folks, Salvation's never earned. But let me tell you what Peter exhorts us in 2 Peter 1 verses 8 through 10. We live in such a way that we are being called and chosen is absolutely certain. Folks, I want to challenge you today. Live in such a way where God has chosen you to be holy and separate and live for God. Don't live for the world. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment. As your eyes are closed, I wanted to read this verse to you. And growing in your faith, in view all this, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement with your faith a genius provision or generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self control, and self control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their own sins. Folks, today... In view of scripture and view of his laws for our life which are perfect in every way have you decided to live by some of your own standards and your own stubbornness and confusion is even harbinger your bitterness towards these very verses and maybe your life right now is not even open to that but understanding today that Christ has made a vow And a covenant with you. And he has wrote these things down, these promises. If you honor your father and mother, your life will go along with you. Don't commit adultery. I don't want you to get in that mess. It will create so much disasters for you. Don't lie. Because the minute you start lying, you have to cover up that lie with a lie. Then you cover that story up with this. Don't bear false witness dear loved one. Don't throw angry insults at people on social media. Don't respond in haste. Today, maybe you've gotten to the point where you said, you know what, I'm living short-sighted. I'm living like sin hasn't left me yet. I'm living like the old person and the law of God has not been something that I've come under. I've created a form of gospel or good news that works for me in my situation but I haven't submitted to the authority of Christ and saying that His way is perfect for me. Today if that's you And you've lived like the old person. And you want to come back under Christ and his covering for your life. I want you to think very seriously about that question and that statement that I want to come back under the authority of Christ. I don't want to be flippant with my walk anymore. But everything that I do, I want to do it for the Lord. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, that's me. I want to subject my life back to the authority of Christ. Why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. What an amazing moment as we understand the marriage with Christ And what He's done for us. And what a beautiful blessing and honor is to serve Him and to love Him. And to adore Him. To grow in knowledge of Him. I want us all to pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank You for Your law, which is perfect for my life. I come back under Your covering. What You want for my life. I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm tired of my own opinions and the suggestive thoughts. I want to live according to your commands. Help me to obey God. I can't do this on my own. I can't do it on my own strength. Help me stay committed. And though I won't be perfect, I will continue on this pilgrimage and trust you. Thank you, God, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. That I have an opportunity this day to obey you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, what a beautiful thing. When we look at the law of God, not as constrictive or condemning, but something that is inviting, that gives us health, and that gives us opportunity in this life to be successful. Folks, I love you. I want our church to be charged with a group of people who live under the commands or the covering of God for our life, and not just the suggestions. I love you very much. And uh, run in the rain today. Go dance in the rain. Get your galoshes on. But... I love you very much and have a great day if you need prayer for anything let us know we want to pray with you and uh, just be sure to be praying for Jen tomorrow and uh, as she's going to be going into surgery but God bless you really good this week love you guys